This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic. Pharmacogenomics is a term we've all heard, but may not completely understand what it is or its potential for changing how we provide patient care. In a similar way as how anesthesia changed the practice of surgery, pharmacogenomics will produce a similar change in how we prescribe medications. With me today is Dr. Richard Winchelbaum, a Mayo Clinic physician and pharmacologist and one of the world's leading experts in pharmacogenomics. Dick, thank you so much for joining us today. Daryl, it's my pleasure. Let's start with a real basic question. What is pharmacogenomics? Pharmacogenomics is just an effort to use the genomic information that began with the Genome Project, because that was just the beginning, and apply that to our individual patients to tailor their drug therapy. Because one thing we've known for many, many years is that there are wide differences among patients with regard to how they respond to drugs, ranging at one end of the spectrum to their failing to get the desired efficacy from the drug, that is, drug doesn't work, or at the other end to getting too much drug effect and finding that the patients have an adverse drug response of some sort. Now we know that some of that variation, and actually a good deal of it, is due to genetic variation, and that's hardly a surprise. Uh, we know that eye color and hair color, and in my case, whether you have any hair, that that in part is due to genetics, and this is really no different. It's just that it's something you can't see, touch, or feel. So what we're aiming for is to take genetic information ahead of time and use that to predict who will need a higher dose or a lower dose of a drug or who shouldn't be given a specific drug because their immune response will give them a very serious adverse drug reaction. And that's really happening in today's world. What are the clinical goals of pharmacogenomics? What does it hope to accomplish? I think the clinical goals are the goals of all of medicine to begin to truly individualize. We all try to individualize the way we approach our patients, both in diagnosis and in therapy. What, what basically is happening in pharmacogenomics is we now have objective information based on variation in DNA sequences as to who is and who is not going to respond well or badly to a given drug at the standard dose. What, one of the challenges is that the way the Food and Drug Administration, who, by the way, do a great job, the way in which they decide that a drug is ready to go out into the public and, and for physicians like you and me to use the drug is they do a series of clinical trials. In the past, those trials were basically aimed at how will the average patient respond to this drug. The problem is none of us are average, and so what we now are beginning to, to realize is that the variation that you and I see when we function as physicians on writing prescriptions, part of it's built right into the DNA of that individual patient. If we had that information ahead of time, we might very well have an electronic health record that would say, for this specific patient, you might want to lower the dose. For another patient, you might want to raise the dose and for some patients, 
you might want to avoid this drug altogether. And there some of those immune sort of things that I was talking about are in that class where it basically says don't go there uh, because this patient, and you can't tell by examining the patient. You can't tell by taking an x-ray of the patient. The technology that you use to do this is to sequence their DNA. Now, I know that because the Genome Project was, you know, about 20 years ago that the Genome Project was finished, I think we all thought that would happen magically overnight. It's turned to be, it turned out to be a real challenge to, number one, get the information from large numbers of people. Number two, how do you make that information available to a physician in a usable form? And how do you advise the physician when they get the information? We don't want to turn you or any physician into a genomics expert uh, any more than you or I, as, a, as an internist, understand the physics that makes a proton beam work. Uh, we don't try to understand that. We know which patients we need to know that, have somebody who knows that do something for. But I think what we can say is that pharmacogenomics is easily going to be the aspect of clinical genomics, actually applying genomics uh, at the bedside that will eventually touch every patient everywhere. Now, that's not to say that cancer genomics is not important. It is. Uh, genomics is right at the heart of the way we diagnose and treat cancer today. Uh, many diseases, uh, childhood diseases in particular, where everyone knows that child, something is wrong, we find that in about a third of those children, by sequencing mom and dad's DNA and the child's DNA, we at least can make a diagnosis. We can say there is something wrong and here's the gene. We may not be able to do anything about it yet, but now that we know what it is, then we can get the pharmaceutical companies or someone working on, on a solution. But it will be pharmacogenomics, which will have the broadest uh, uh, impact of genomics because the genomic variation we're looking at is pretty common in the population. Every one of us, and this will come as a shock to patients, but every single uh, individual will carry several of these clinically actionable variations in their DNA sequence, which doesn't bother them most of the time until either you or I write a prescription for them and it turns out that their genome will mean that they have to be treated in a special way because they, they have a different DNA sequence. So this really took the human genome sequencing to get this started. And I mean, you taught me pharmacology in medical school, and you never mentioned pharmacogenomics. So uh, I suspect it wasn't even a word back then. Well, I suspected it? that you were unconscious during the lectures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as a matter of fact, the, the research was going on because it was possible to do genetic studies even before the Genome Project. They were laborious. They were done the same way that Gregor Mendel uh, did his studies, that is, by looking at families. We could say, oh, uh, the level of an enzyme that the body uses to get rid of a, of a drug is quite different, and it's inherited. What the Genome Project did was give us the ability in a very objective fashion and in a fashion that's getting cheaper and cheaper as every year goes by to actually get objective information that we can give to the physician. Now, that's a challenge because physicians like you and me weren't trained in DNA technology. And so we have to find ways to translate that in a meaningful fashion that can be used quickly in a real-life setting. And we're, we're moving toward those goals fairly rapidly, actually. It seems that 
much of the work done in uh, pharmacogenomics has been in the specialty of psychiatry. Um, how was that field chosen? Why did, why, did, why did it seem to start there? Well, it's interesting that you should ask that because that's correct. A good deal of the, of the pharmacogenomic information has been applied in psychiatry. I think it, and, and uh, this is not a, in any way is saying anything about psychiatry as a discipline or psychiatrist, but psychiatrists have great disadvantages. The cancer doctors can biopsy a breast cancer, can take a section of it, look at it, stain it, whereas if you have a neuropsychiatric disease, nobody's going to let their depressed 14-year-old child have a brain biopsy, nor should they. So that there's a limitation in psychiatry that they have less biological biomarkers that they can use to tailor therapy to make diagnoses. So the psychiatrists have looked upon this because they do have drugs that work. They don't work in every patient, but they work. And the idea is, can we pick out those patients in whom our SSRI drugs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, to pick one example. Uh, these are the standard of care for the drug therapy of, of major, major depressive disorder. Can we pick out right at the beginning who's going to have an adverse response to that drug? Who's going to need a high dose? Who's going to need a low dose? And I think we, we should congratulate the psychiatrists for embracing this. Hopefully, they'll be moving into an era when they will have the same tools that oncologists have with regard to the underlying causes for the uh, terrible diseases which they find themselves dealing with. So at the present time, are there other specialty fields that can take advantage of the information known at, with pharmacogenomics? all of them. So I mentioned oncology at the beginning, and I, uh, my office happens to be based in a, in a cancer center. The doctors that I'm working with in that cancer center research area, all of them on a, a daily basis, minute by minute, are sequencing tumors, looking for the gene that's driving that tumor, and a drug that will go right after that driver gene. And many of the advances that we've seen in cancer. So the fact that at the beginning I said that pharmacogenomics will touch everywhere. It touches oncology, too. In fact, it's at the heart of oncology. So the oncologists take this as a given that their job is to find in among what happens in cancer is you get all kinds of variations in the tumor. The tumor is the evil offspring of the DNA that, that the patient got from mom and dad. And it has mutations, and those mutations then drive more mutations. The big challenge there is to find which one or ones are the drivers and have a drug that goes right after them. And I'm surrounded by people in the cancer center who are doing that on a daily basis. So the DNA sequencing of the tumor and of the germline, germline meaning the DNA that you got from mom and dad, uh, which all of us, it's uh, 50-50, that horrified my children when they were teenagers when they realized that, uh, particularly my son because I have no hair and he was very worried about that. <laughs> as, as it turned out, it comes from the mom's side generally. So he's okay. Uh, so look, uh, cancer clearly is an area where this is playing an important role. Another area really is in pediatric disease because there are inborn errors that we haven't seen before and there, one of the advantages that you have is that in a newborn, uh, in a NICU, the newborn intensive care units, uh, where my daughter makes rounds, she's a pediatrician, you got mom and dad standing right there 
by the bedside. And so you can get DNA from mom and dad, and that makes it much easier to pinpoint the genetic variation in a sick child. Now, we don't have a, genomics is not going to be the answer to everything, but it will be part of the answer to a very many things. It just happens that pharmacogenomics, because these are common variations, probably because our species went around doing stupid stuff and eating things we shouldn't, and our body had ways to protect itself, and we see variation in these pathways, which weren't invented with the eye by evolution because it knew that there were going to be drug companies. It was mainly to protect us from doing silly things in the environment. Can you think of a patient who particularly gained benefit from the knowledge of pharmacogenomics? Oh, I can think of lots of them. I, I used an example in the, the lecture that I just gave of drugs that are used to treat childhood cancer. These drugs are miracle drugs, and I want to make that point clear so that we are amazingly fortunate to have had uh, gifted scientists who developed these drugs because that has converted, as I said just a few moments ago, uh, that has converted the number one cancer of kids, which was uniformly fatal uh, when I was in medical school, to the point that my daughter, if she sees these children, expects to cure 95% of them. And that, uh, I think that that's a miracle of modern medicine. But the drugs are powerful. If they kill cancer cells, if you get too much of them, they can do great harm. They can uh, destroy the bone marrow where uh, these cells that we use, our red blood cells and white blood cells, come from and make the child uh, very, very sensitive for infections, and it can be fatal. We now, because we have the genetic information that is a standard part of the way we approach these children, is to test them right at the front end so that they, we can give them the proper dose of these drugs and we don't overdose them. So that's a whole class of, of, uh, of patients who have benefited. Some of the enzymes that are encoded by the part of the genome that shows this variation don't just affect one class of drugs, they affect a dozen classes of drugs. And for those kinds of people, once they find out, oh, I'm uniquely sensitive not to one drug but a whole bunch of them because my body won't metabolize it because I have a genetic variant. So I get overdosed if doctors come from a variety of different disciplines. What we find happening, and, and I won't mention any names, but one of our patients at Mayo immediately went out and told all of her family members, you should get tested for these pharmacogenes. And when she did, half of her relatives were having the same problem. They found themselves being very sensitive to drugs that the doctors couldn't figure out why in the world are they having these problems. And there are some really quite dramatic stories. One of the most dramatic and tragic was a young woman in Toronto who had a baby, and she had an episiotomy, which is fairly standard, and was sent home on codeine. Codeine is a painkiller, but it's not actually. It requires that the body convert the codeine to morphine in your body. And this woman actually went back to her pediatrician and complained that her child, and this was her first child, was seen to be sleepy and not, not, uh, not very responsive. And unfortunately, the physician hadn't thought about the body's ability to convert codeine to morphine. Her body made too much morphine, and it was in her breast milk. And her child died of a morphine overdose because... No one was thinking that way now as a result of that case, which I want to give the physicians in Toronto a great deal of credit. They immediately tumbled to what was going on. 
Canada immediately said, don't use codeine in these nursing, nursing moms. And the United States followed very quickly, and Europe did too, so that we don't treat moms who go home from the hospital with pain with codeine anymore, thank you, uh, because of this one tragic event that occurred in Canada. And it's that kind of tragedy that everyone can understand. I mean, what a devastating blow to that poor mother and, and the family. And it wasn't that anyone knew, and the doctor wrote the standard prescription, which for most patients works, but in her case, it was fatal for her child. So what's needed now? Do we have enough information regarding pharmacogenomics to use it on most of our patients? Do our, do our patients need to get their genes sequenced? Well, clearly the Mayo Clinic feels that, that it should be a part of what we do as a medical center because we have developed a series of alerts that when a physician writes a prescription for any one of 20 drugs where we know genetic variation can either make the drug ineffective or make it too effective, like the case I just described where too much of the codeine was converted to morphine, uh, that that alert tells the physician at the point of care when he or she is writing the prescription, would you like to get a genetic test? Now, that's not where we want to be. And actually, for 10,000 of our patients on our Rochester campus, local patients, we have actually preemptively sequenced every single gene that we think in today's world has clinical utility, that it's meaningful for that patient if a doctor writes a prescription. Remember, nobody's going to have a problem until somebody writes that prescription and the doctors aren't, uh, aren't aware of the fact that there's genetic variation there. So what we would like to do is to have that information in your electronic health record so that you don't have to order a test. It's already there. And the price of doing that is now approaching the point where that may become increasingly common, that your physician will preemptively get sequence information on all the genes that we currently know play a role in variation and drug response, have that in the electronic health record so that the alert wouldn't say, doctor, would you like to order a test? It will say, doctor, your patient, because of variation in their genome, would be someone who you might want to raise the dose, lower the dose, or choose a different drug. I would think a perfect opportunity for the electronic medical record would be to pair with this information such that it automatically tells us when there's an issue. seems like the perfect, uh, perfect mate. And you are, of course, exactly right. That's what we're moving toward. That's one of our goals at Mayo is to make that a, a part of the testing that we do on all of our patients eventually. Now, clearly, the, uh, the insurers will have to accept the fact that, uh, that this is not that great a cost to prevent other costs. Uh, when I talk about the little baby who died, I think everyone can understand it might have been worth something to have had that inf information on that mom preemptively. She was an ultra-rapid metabolizer. Translate into English, what that means is she had a bunch of copies of this gene, and it just took a standard dose of codeine and made a ton of morphine. And who, to, without having her DNA sequence, we couldn't possibly have predicted that. Mm -hmm. when, when we as providers have questions regarding pharmacogenomics, who do we contact? Who, who's the expert in this area? Well, it's interesting and I think important that you ask that because what we find are that academic medical centers like the Mayo Clinic are now developing a cadre of both clinicians and particularly pharmacists 
because the pharmacists are all trained in, in drug usage, drug metabolism, all this, uh, all, all of the information about uh, drugs. And what we're doing is training a new generation of pharmacists to have expertise in pharmacogenomics. They're going out and consulting with the doctors on difficult cases, and they're available to answer questions at the drop of a hat. And I think we will find that increasingly, as I travel around the world, I find that this is an area where the pharmacist may well play a leadership role uh, professionally, and there's special training that they need to receive in order to be helpful to, other phys to the physicians and other members of the healthcare team. Okay, one last question. If we as providers have interest in learning more about this, are there resources available that we can uh, read about this and learn more about pharmacogenomics? Are there, in terms of the general principles, there are a lot of review articles out there, but the NIH has created a national resource called PharmGKB, P-H-A-R-M and then capital G-K-B, which is based at Stanford, <coughs> excuse me, where all of this information comes together in a meant to be a reasonably approachable and useful fashion. There are a series of startup companies that, uh, that potentially can make this information available to. We've been speaking with Dr. Richard Winchelbaum, an expert in pharmacogenomics. Dick, thank you so much for uh, sharing this so important information with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for your kind emails and topic suggestions. Each and every comment is important to us. We invite you to share your thoughts at cme at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week. Thank you.